Grumpy Old Geeks, a weekly talk show hosted by Brian Schulmeister and Jason DeFilippo, discussing the finer points of what went wrong on the internet and who's to blame. Welcome to Grumpy Old Geeks. I'm Jason DeFilippo. And I'm Brian Schulmeister. We, uh, we've just had a little bit of a pre-show chat, and I'd just like to point out that uh, our deletes are not set visibility to zero. We actually delete all the <laughs> crap that we were just talking about. Completely delete because yeah, that would be bad if some of that stuff got out. <laughs> oh my god! Yes. So I just looked outside, Brian. My neighbor's at it again. Okay. He's got three new photos of people who have put dog poop that he's caught on his camera on his tree. Hmm. It's kind of it's kind of quaint. He's like the old school Twitter troll. He's totally like yeah. that. He's, and- he's, he's an analog Twitter troll. Yeah, and it's funny because, I mean, he's like 55, and he lives with his mom, and his mom's really cool. He's a nutter, but uh, the funny thing is, he leaves his his green garbage can on the street all the time, and I'm like, you're, you know, a hypocrite. <laughs> you're leaving your garbage can out on the street, and then you get pissed off when people put stuff in it. If it's on the street, it's fair game. I'd understand if people were just uh, letting their dogs poop on the lawn, but if it's going in the trash can and you leave the trash can out there... You have uh, no basis. None. None whatsoever. You have no leg to stand on. Yes. He does not have legs. He totally does not have legs. <laughs> he doesn't have a very good camera either. It looks like a Connectix quick cam. It's all black and white and grainy. Oh, I'm like, dude. Memories. Up- upgrade your game, dude. <laughs> I just thought it was funny because he's, he's back in action. I thought he gave up, but nope, nope. Somebody has pissed him off. Gotta by have something to live for, Jason. Gotta have something to live for. That's sad. He's one of those guys that comes out on the weekend with his his bike outfit in the spandex with all of the logos of companies that aren't sponsoring him <laughs> and then blocks traffic on Topanga Canyon all the way to the beach. He's yeah, one of those guys. I, I know those guys very well because, as you know, I do a bike ride almost every day up the bike path here in Santa Monica up to Malibu and back, which is it's, it's a long ride. And uh, there, yeah, it's uh, the weekend warriors, the the somewhat rotund guys that have squeezed themselves into these outfits and then don't know uh-huh. the rules of the road at all, and uh, always are blocking me. Yeah, it's good that a lot of them are doctors because I'm sure that there's a lot of heart attacks, especially going over <laughs> to Panga, and uh, it's very very funny. But yes. uh, yeah, I, I can't see you in a spandex outfit with you know logos on it trying to ride your bike. I, I wear um, basketball shorts and a t-shirt. That's that's what I wear when I ride my bike. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I got a story about Green Day. Oh boy. Well, it's it's a funny story. It started out because I, I'm sick. I'm very sick, and mm-hmm. I've been in bed for most of the week, so I don't have a lot of news to put in the show. So I'm going to tell a story. Okay. I found a video of Green Day being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yes. Were you there for that one? No. Uh, The only one I went to was when uh, Rush got inducted because that was the one in L.A. I was not going to fly and then pay $500 for a ticket for. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Got it. Got it. And, and, you know, it just got me going down this path because, A, I'm like, we talked about who was going into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year and the people that were left out. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, they put Green Day in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame already? Yeah. What? It's ridiculous. I used to, I mean, we knew back in the day when Green Day first popped, because we had their first 7-inch. That's all they had released. We got their first 7-inch, I think it was on the lookout, and we loved them. Everybody loved them. It was just like a fresh, a breath of fresh air, you know? Then they started to get big, and they got bigger. And then uh, Rob Cavallo signed them to, I believe it was Reprise Records? Um, It was probably. Yeah, I I think it was Reprise. (laughs) but years later, you know, I, I met my roommate and I've been friends with her for 20 some odd years now. She was a uh, 
marketing uh, vice president at Warner Brothers Records. So she knew all of the players that were, you know, working on that. She worked on Depeche Mode and and the cool bands. And but she knew the guys that were working with with Green Day. And she told me about one of her friends, Steve, who was the guy who got all the college radio play for Green Day. And I just met Steve the other day because guess what? Guess what Steve does now? Uh, real estate. You got it. Most of the people I know <laughs> that it. used to be in the music industry are either doing real estate or investing. Exactly. It's just very funny. So, yeah, uh, they're selling a house together. So if you have $7 million and you want to move to Beverly Hills, uh, Andre Berto's house is up for sale, the boxer. I can get you uh, I can get you in pretty easy. <laughs> so <laughs> but they're working on that together. But uh, nice guy. Nice guy. So, you know, I listened to Green Day from when it when they were young ish. Mm-hmm. Used to say I've seen Green Day probably 50 times mm-hmm. in my lifetime. Used to go all around. the. Me the, too. But know, all in one tour. Yeah, you got to, yeah. I, see, I'm jealous about that. I'm totally jealous about that. And it's funny. The last time I saw Green Day was with you mm-hmm. at that secret show. Well, I worked. Well, uh, I worked secret. with Green Day pre-American Idiot through the entire American Idiot campaign, and then sh- until the new album came out. At which point, everybody was let go. Okay, so I I got a job at Warner Brothers Records, and I that like the week before. Um, yeah, I got I got hired about the week before American Idiot dropped. So I got, you know, a pre-release of it and I listened to it. And it's a fucking masterpiece. I give them that. I still think that album is fantastic. It was and then uh, we ended up made them the biggest band in the world for that period of time. Oh, and, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's got legs. It definitely has legs. I listened to it the other day. It's still really good. And and that's when we got to finally work together. So I was like the head programmer at Warner Brothers Records. Mm-hmm. You were the outside consultant because you had the the gig of doing Green Day's website and everybody inside Warner Brothers Records hated you yes. because you're such a pain in the ass. Yes. Everybody in Warner Brothers always hated me because I, I randomly ended up working with a lot of Warner Brothers bands. I did the Goose. I did the Green Day. A couple other people. Not, yeah. not big fans of me, although. Oh, man. When I mentioned me, that I knew you. So. Oh, man, <laughs> yeah. the knives came out. They're like, you're friends with those guys? I did that, all. That was literally yes. the first thing they but said. But they still all came to me. I did all the Warner Brothers ECDs for that period of time. So it's not. They may not have liked me personally, but they respected the craft. They did, yeah, you, you did you did okay work. Yeah, I have thanks. to say, I think Wendy, Wendy did the best job, but you know, <laughs> she was the designer. She made it look pretty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, us us developers never get credit for anything. So no, we never do. I gave up on that a long time ago. <laughs> exactly, and so yeah, we went to that that one show mm-hmm. that uh, um, that was uh, oh, that was I think three days later I came out of hibernation. <laughs> Because that was back... I'm like, I'm in the music industry now. Let's party like I'm in the music industry. So there was substances and lots of lost memories and lots of phone calls. Where's Jason? Why isn't he showing up to work today? Oh, he was messed up at that show. (laughs) Here's the thing, though. I I, I worked for Warner Brothers Records, and I did them a favor by getting Shenny from Boing Boing to post an article on Boing Boing because some genius, some fucking genius at the music label said, hey, why don't we sell blank CDs with Green Day's album art on it? And those of us who had a brain cell or two said, okay, so you're actively wanting people <laughs> to pirate Green Day's music and put it on a CDR and not buy the album? Yes. What, what are you thinking? Yes. Well, and- lots of great ideas. Always came out of Warner Brothers. <laughs> oh my God, I'm telling you. And... Uh, it, so I, I, I called in a favor. I'm like, Shenny, please, pretty please do me this favor. Make a post about it. I'll owe you one. I'll totally owe you one. 
And so she did. All right. And I owe so her one. your first mistake here is, yes, you're in the music industry. Favors do not get you anything. Yeah. Well, they did get me something. I'll, I'll tell you about what they got me in a second. Because Shenny called in that favor. She needed somebody to go out with her to the desert, to the Mojave, because uh, she was doing a piece for NPR on SpaceX. And, well, no, no, not SpaceX. I'm sorry. This is <laughs> uh, early for that. SpaceX. <laughs> yeah. No, the I'm sorry X Prize. So this is when uh, Spaceship One was taking off for the, for the first run of their two run. You know, you had to like do a spaceship, get it into orbit, bring it back down, and then within two weeks, get it back up there. Right. So this was the first launch. So we went out to the Mojave, and I took pictures all day, and then we didn't get home till five o'clock because it was you know traffic and plus the event itself. And then we went to the airline graveyard. You know, which was the best thing ever. So I get back and uh, I get fired mm-hmm. by by our friend Robin Sloan Bechtel. I think who she's is, the one that hated me the most over there. Oh, she is definitely the one that hated you the most, and she <laughs> hated me the most by the end of it. Uh, we've talked about her before and our our disdain for her. She's the one that uh, takes all the credit for Megadeth Arizona, uh, one of the first uh, big you know music websites. Uh, not even a website. It, well, it was a website, it but they website. had uh, it wasn't Gopher. Yeah. It wasn't a gopher. It was a website. But I give all the credit to our friend Fess, who was the programmer behind that, who did some amazing work. And I still have mad respect for him wherever he may be right now. Uh, so, yeah, I got fired for basically not showing up to work all day, Jason. <laughs> well, for for I told her I told her what I was doing. And she's like, yeah, you don't come into the office enough. So we're going to have to let you go. But you know what the irony is? Hmm. She didn't come into the office that day and she fucking called me to fire me. She wasn't in the office. the music industry is not quite as cool as it used to be jason they do expect you to show up this was 10 years ago man it wasn't that cool 10 years ago man that's true that's true (laughs) this is back in uh we were in the chalet you know the warner brothers chalet which is now has has been bulldozed unfortunately i love that building Oh, it was great. I'll actually, I've got uh, the floor plans with the with the old uh, layout because my roommate used to work there too. I was in the office next to hers, and one day I'm listening to, like this guy down the hall has all this music coming out, and he's like blaring it, and I'm like, "Who the fuck's got all this music?" He's like, the one of the tech guys goes, uh, "He signed Radiohead, so he can do whatever he wants." Mm, <laughs> I'm like, true. "Oh, okay." <laughs> got it. And and here's the other funny thing about wor- working in a music industry company back then. I was there for. 30 days on the nose. In that 30 days, they tried to give me a stereo every single day for my office. The one thing that they didn't give me as the head programmer for Warner Brothers Records was my own computer. <laughs> I had to bring my own computer to work every day. Yeah, sounds about right. So that's a that's a walk down memory lane. And uh, I just it, it all came because I, I was listening to that uh, Green Day speech. And I still hate Trey Cool. I really do. <laughs> He's just not not cool. Sorry. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I worked with those guys for a period of about two to two and a half, maybe three years total. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like Billy. He's a good guy. Mike Mike is my favorite. He's the nicest of the bunch, I think. Hmm. Not a fan? I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm not saying no anything comment. here. <laughs> no comment on that Redacted. one. All right. <laughs> Redacted. No, he's, he's, a, he's a nice guy. It's uh, I don't know if he could pass a grade five test, but nice guy. Doesn't, hey man, smart doesn't smart hey, doesn't you don't, enter into look, it. He's, you know? he's a great bass player. He doesn't need to. 
Yep, that's true. So there you go. Uh, I have a little bit of a semi-walk down memory lane as well, more uh, a cautionary tale for any young developers that might be listening. Uh, I just wrote in the notes on being an unwilling legacy developer. Now, Uh-oh. I know, Jason, you've you've done the same thing. We we take on projects for friends sometimes or, oh, God, I or know. you know, they're, they're kind of acquaintances and then they become friends. And then the next thing you know, seven years later, you're still working on their projects for them. Because mm-hmm. even though you don't want to, I've had two or three of those experiences just in the past month or two where, where people that I've, I was probably friends with seven years ago when I initially did them favors and built them for cheap because there was no money involved. And, mm-hmm. and you know, you have to cut corners to get things done because you can't do it right. And, I'm uh, itching listening to this, by the way. Yeah. And, for, like, you know, yeah. and, and in the past seven years, these friendships have gone away and they're not really friends anymore. They should buy rights, if anything, be clients. And I've, told them over the years, look, I don't have the capacity for this anymore. I don't have the interest anymore. I'm not really programming anymore. I don't, you need to find someone else. And their rickety old systems, because they're now seven years old now, are falling apart and stopping working. And, and yeah. uh, you know, it used to be once a year, hey, I need to add one page. All right, fine. Mm-hmm. I'll do it. You can, you know, send me 50 bucks so I can go buy some beer. Okay, fine. But as seven years go on and things start to break and aren't up to date anymore the emails and calls are increasing (laughs) (laughs) i found myself doing some coding the other day and i'm like what am i doing this for like this whole thing needs to be torn down it's seven years old blah 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 and it's you know i'm just patching upon patching and the patching is not working anymore Mm -hmm. and you know they're not listening to me when i say you need to find someone else it's just not happening so do not get stuck in this predicament people that's yeah. all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, seriously, just you just cut the ties, you know. Yeah, it's- I know. I I have to, and after I, this is my last one for this one person, and another person said that they're supposed to be getting back to me with their list of what they want, and when they send that back to me, I'm yeah. going to say I just don't. I I'm sorry, I don't have the yeah. time. Yeah, not interested. Yeah. Not interested. Yeah. You know, I did that for years with uh, Gigi Edgley from Farscape, mm-hmm. and I you know. She had some other company build her websites because she didn't like the one I built. So she had somebody do it. They did it in Flash. And, of course, it broke. And it was a miserable <laughs> fuster cluck. And a couple of years ago, I finally put her on Squarespace. And it was the best thing I ever did. Right. I'm like, here's the manual. Here you go. <laughs> Off to the races with you, lassie. And uh, go with God. And, yeah, nowadays, I'm just like, no, I, won't, I will not do that. I just, I just tell everybody. I'm like, I, I'm retired. That's all you got to say is I'm retired. Yeah. And... <laughs> I, I mean, I haven't written really that much code in seven and a half years now. So, oh, well, I guess you're not going to be able to help me with the fact that uh, anchor links are no longer working in my CSS accordion. Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to figure this out, and I really don't care. <laughs> yeah, hire a fucking twenty year old. That's how you figure it out nowadays. Yeah, I know. Uh, now let's get on to some actual news. Okay. Now that we've filled 15 minutes of the old days. Uh, Kickstarter employees win historic union election. They right. finally got their union. Well, they've, uh, <laughs> the union will be, dis- <laughs> be delayed by eight to 15 months because of, uh, just shipping issues. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, you got. You, We're you sorry, we haven't actually built the union yet. So, <laughs> thank you for pre-ordering it. Yes, you you'll get a shirt. Union. <laughs> Here's a sticker. Here's we'll a wait sticker for collective bargaining later. 
I, oh, good man. on them. Let's see when it actually starts. I mean, I'm uh, yeah. you know we're making a joke because that's how Kickstarter that's works how Kickstarter all the time. Works. But I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if the union takes a little while to kick into gear. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it was a forty-six to thirty-seven vote, so almost half didn't want to actually unionize. I don't which understand I thought was interesting. that. Yeah, I don't get it either. Maybe they're just scared of their Kickstarter overlords. Right. Who knows? <laughs> but yeah, that's, it's interesting. And uh, this next article comes from an ad that I saw on Instagram. <laughs> and I sent, I sent you a screenshot of it because I was just gobsmacked. And this is the United States Postal Service. Mm-hmm. Are, they're running ads on Instagram. And it says, four ways blockchain can be used throughout the supply chain. And I replied to you, what are they, trying to get funding? (laughs) Apparently they are. Apparently the USPS needs some more funding. Because I think uh, Amazon has pulled back quite a bit now with their own fleet. Mm -hmm. And they were were basically subsidizing the post office for forever. Yeah. So... Well, look, I yes. mean, we've talked about there are valid use cases for blockchain, and I could see the USPS being one of them. Yeah, I mean, their four points are smart contracts, tracking, fraud and theft prevention, mm-hmm. and transaction processing, which are some of the ways that we said that blockchain is actually good for something, yes. you know? <laughs> I mean, it would make sense. I, I don't understand why they're running ads about it other than, you know, just to kind of remind people that they exist. Yeah, I think that's about it. You know, okay. <laughs> but but I mean, like, why are they spending the money? Do they have their own blockchain division? That's just like you know, there's a link to you know, email us for more information. And I'm like, uh, no, I got all the information oh, I need. I'm sure that they're using one of the blockchains as a service companies out there. There's no way they built out their own. I bet it's IBM. IBM is pretty much the leader in the space right now. Yeah, so I'm guessing they partnered with IBM. Which is good. IBM yeah. could, uh, could 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 use the money, frankly. Yeah, well, I, again, like I said, I, this actually does make sense. I, I can understand this use of the blockchain, and it makes complete and utter sense for the business in which the USPS is involved. Yep, mm-hmm. I just thought it was funny. And now I will go invest in them. In the news... Believe it or not, Brian, mm-hmm. Photoshop is 30 years old. It's I a 30 it. something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, when I when I saw this, I'm like, isn't it older than that? I started using Photoshop at version 2 on right. my Macintosh 2CI when I worked at Kinko's Copies <laughs> as a desktop publisher. And uh I, you know, still use it all the time. It's my favorite. It's, you know, obviously my favorite photo app next to Lightroom. Yeah, but, I've, uh, I've tried other stuff, but I seem unable to quit, even though I'm really annoyed at the subscription model, but at least they have that cheapy student one, so I can just use that. Yeah, I'm not on the cheapy student one. I just got the photographer bundle, so I get Lightroom, Photoshop, and all that extra crap to make viral videos, <laughs> So, because um, I love me some Photoshop, and I just need it. They've got some new tools. They have an object selection tool, which actually looks pretty nice. That could be very useful for me when I do our show art. Yeah, 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 because you really suck at doing the masks. I think it's. I think you should just keep doing it the way you're doing it because it's quaint. I kind of do that on purpose. Yeah, I figured you might. It's supposed to be a little old school. I don't want it to be perfect. <laughs> when I have to do the show art, I try and make it crappy on purpose just Good. so they match. Excellent. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so they've got, so yeah, they just added out some new features, but uh, yeah, 30 years old, man. Wow. Yep. It's it's incredible. And I still use it every week. I use it every week. So congrats to Adobe for, you know, not fucking that one up like <clears throat> too much flash flash. <laughs> uh, Adobe didn't fuck up flash. Uh, Steve Jobs killed it. 
That's true. That's true. Well, I, I hated Flash. You know that. You I know. liked it. I hated it. I liked it. I, I thought it was a great combination of visual and programming, which which was my strength. You're just a hardcore developer. You don't want the visuals. All right. So Susan Fowler, we remember her. She was the former Uber engineer who wrote the viral Medium post in 2017 that basically directly led to Travis Kalanick's ouster. Well, she has, of course, cashed in on this even more. She is writing an entire book. It just came out called Whistleblower. Oh, Jesus. Well... I would say Jesus, whatever, but uh, it gets even deeper, and Uber is even worse than we thought. Okay. So she has so? <laughs> a whole bunch of details that show how many Uber managers uh, were not only misogynistic, but also bafflingly petty about it, including a situation where during an orientation when she first joined the company, uh, which included formal instructions not to date Travis Kalanick, the new employees participated. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. You buried the lead on that. <laughs> no, that's not even the lead, Jason. That's not oh, even the Jesus. lead. <laughs> Okay, that's why I'm kind of glad this book exists, because maybe people will now start to believe me when I say Uber (laughs) is a horrible company. Um, So all the new employees had to participate in a competition to determine the most interesting person in the group. Each table in the room nominated one person to be a contestant. Uh, She was picked as one of them. So Fowler and the other nominees got up on the stage and the software engineering director leading the exercise abruptly pointed to all of the women one by one and told them to leave, basically stating you're a woman. There's no way you can be the most interesting person. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. So then she wrote of another encounter with the same director later on when she tried to find out why women were winning far fewer company-wide awards for performance despite being nominated at roughly the same frequency as men. The director, who also ran the awards committee, informed her that inequity is a result of women not knowing how to write nominations. He then suggested the company could create a separate award just for women. What the fuck? She also writes in the memoir that her managers kept changing her desk assignment in the office after she made her complaint to ensure that she would sit alone. She also heard secondhand that uh, this guy had been telling coworkers that she couldn't handle a man like him, and he'd try to convince his team to go to strip clubs for lunch. Okay, hopefully this guy was ousted in one of the the many rounds of firings. Yeah, so, and I guess uh, as I kept reading this article talking uh, more and more about the book, uh, the the most insane aspect of this is a lot of the memoir largely has to do with how Uber's HR representatives repeatedly stonewalled and lied to her in almost every interaction she had with them. So she literally had no recourse. The HR was worse was as bad as, if not worse, the all the employees. So yeah. what a ridiculous company. Hopefully they're turning it all around. I doubt it. I doubt it too, but yes. I'm, I'm sure they're getting better, but probably by inches, not miles. Yeah, I'm, I actually do think I want to read this book just because, you know, I like to be proven right. And I've been screaming about how <laughs> horrible Uber is <laughs> since, since day, day one. one. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's have a little uh, yeah, self-satisfaction by reading this book. We'll okay. See. Okay. And you know, I mean, it's, it, it, it does not surprise me that HR was a problem for her because people just don't realize HR is not there for you. HR is there for the company. HR is there to protect the company's ass, not yours. It's, yeah. It's the hit squad. It's the company hit squad. I hate HR departments. I'm sorry. I, I've had I no can't imagine why. <laughs> oh my God. Especially the one at Boxed, uh, not Boxtop, uh, BLT. That's the company. Boxtop that just didn't even me. have an HR department from what I remember. We were too small. Oh God. <laughs> yeah, they were too small. Oh, no, near the end, it got pretty big. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was only there for four months because I got the hell out. <laughs> but I went to work for Paramount, who has a much better HR department. Not. <laughs> Getting frisked when you leave the lot every day. Thank you. Okay, well, I understand why they do that. 
Yes, yes, yes. This is even before BitTorrent existed. (laughs) All right. So the FTC has been doing a lot of antitrust investigation, and uh, some companies are trying to get out ahead of this. Apple and Google are reportedly mulling big changes. Is Amazon next? So we have some betterages there. So Bloomberg reported on Thursday (laughs) that Apple is considering allowing iPhone users the ability to make third-party apps such as Chrome and Gmail the default on their phones. Finally! A a potential reversal that could alleviate one criticism from competitors and consumers alike. Uh, Yeah, that's yeah. why not? Just do it. Who cares? That's part of it. Here's the real issue with that, though, with Chrome and, and, you know, any other browser. Mm -hmm. Not not even just mentioning Gmail. Um, They have to take away this ridiculous uh thing that they have where you have to use their rendering engine yeah you know that's why all the browsers are the damn same and they can't differentiate themselves with with actual products and features because apple says you have to use the safari rendering engine if you're going to create a browser for the iphone and that's bullshit yes it is so they're looking at changing that and earlier this month the wall street journal reported that google executives were informally discussing whether they should consider spinning off their advertising technology unit as regulators examine the company's dominance in online advertising and it's dealing with publishers so we might get a bit of a split there which would not be a bad thing now on the amazon side of things the FTC have expressed interest in if and how Amazon prioritizes its products and services over those of its partners and competitors and how those practices might impact consumer choice. We know that that does, and Amazon yeah. helps themselves. So we'll see if they do anything about it because uh, they don't seem to have mentioned any forthcoming changes yet. So at least uh, two of the companies are stepping up and going, oh, all right, since you're investigating us, we'll play a little bit more fair. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the FTC needs to basically put the squash on Amazon Basics out of the gate. Yeah. That right there is the most egregious antitrust violation I've ever seen. It's like, (laughs) okay, we're going to buy up hundreds of companies that sell low-cost items, and then we're going to rebrand them as Amazon Basics, and we're going to give them priority in their search. And that is... And not just priority in their search. Obviously, it's the cheaper price. They do same-day shipping, et cetera, et cetera. So driving everybody else out of the market. Yeah, I mean that that for me, I mean if they can fix that that'd be fantastic. They they need to get spanked on that one. Mm-hmm. And speaking of things that need to be fixed and probably won't anytime soon, uh what's our continual line about self-driving cars <laughs> that, that they're always, always going to be 20 years, years away? <laughs> yep. Yeah, well it's looking that way. McAfee researchers recently tricked a Tesla into speeding while the car's intelligent cruise control feature was engaged. Uh, this is uh, this news signals yet again that completely safe, fully autonomous cars have still not arrived and suggests that they face new types of vulnerabilities. This is not a new type of vulnerability, but it has been directly and, and exhaustingly researched now. Uh, we've always said that uh, all we have to do to destroy traffic and kill people is mess with street signs that uh, – these cars uh-huh. are relying on. And uh, over the course of 18 months, these researchers, whose report was published today, explored how they could get a Tesla to misread speed limits by messing with the vehicle's ability to see. Basically, they just took a piece of tape, put it on the middle prong of the three for a 35 mile per hour speed limit, and the Tesla reads that as 85 miles per hour. Yeah. Um, I would like to point out, as we like to often come back and say we were right about a lot of different things. <laughs> This is one of my scenarios that I played out years ago when we were talking about self-driving cars on the show. Yep. This is one of the ones that I specifically said could happen. Mm-hmm. The other one was, I'm just going to put a stop sign on the back of my car. I'm going to build backpacks with stop signs on them so people who are crossing the street you know, actually maybe won't get run over by a self-driving car. 
This is this is one of the ones that I actually gamed out, and it turns out it actually works. So, yeah, pat me on the back for that one. Well, not right now because I've got shingles and it would hurt like a motherfucker. But otherwise, <laughs> I'm happy that they have actually um, they've done this and they've proven it right. Yeah, I mean, it's we've all, I've said always it's got to be all or nothing with autonomous vehicles, and part of that process is going to be completely and and drastically updating the entire traffic system. We're just not yeah, going to be able to. You can't do it visually. You need to we do it with can't. chips. And yep. yeah, honestly, I mean, there has to be some other way to do it mm-hmm. because I mean, at least even now, though, like when I have Google Maps on in my in my car, it tells me if I'm speeding or not because it knows the speed limits of all the streets around here, mm-hmm. and it knows that systematically, not because it's reading a sign. So there are other ways to do this other than, you know, visual perception, which is just hackable beyond belief. Yeah, but it still has to be physical. We cannot rely on a 24-7, never-going-down internet connection, which is what a lot of people think is going to be the way to do it. Google Maps will go down. You will lose service. We talked just the other episode about a car that they couldn't get to start or unlock unless they had cell phone service. Yeah, and there's another article I read about people who die in the Mojave all the time. They call it death by GPS because the GPS goes wrong and right. they get driven out into the middle of nowhere and die from dehydration, you know? it's uh, We got a long way to go, guys. We yes, got a we long it's, way to go. It's uh, 20 years away. We'll be Again. saying that three years from now. It's 20 years <laughs> yeah. away. 20 yeah. years from now when we're like in our 60s doing the show. It's 20 years away. Oh, God, in 20 years, I'm going to be almost 70. That's scary. God, I hope we're not doing this podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network, also known as a VPN. Even if you use incognito mode, your internet service provider is storing your browsing data and many times even selling it. But Private Internet Access, or PIA, can help. PIA encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network admin. And with servers in over 75 countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content around the world. PIA comes with an easy-to-use app and browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and it was just ranked the fastest VPN in the world by PCMag. If you sign up with PIA right now, you can take advantage of a special deal only for GOG listeners. By using our link, gog.show slash VPN, you can get complete digital privacy for less than $2 a month, and four extra months for free, which means only one buck ninety-eight cents a month, and up to eighty-three percent off. That's so much more inexpensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. And if you get it right now, you can take PIA's thirty-day risk-free challenge. You can try it out for thirty days and see if you like it. If not, just return it for a full refund. So go to gog.show/vpn and try out the best VPN on the planet, completely risk-free. That's gog.show/vpn. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Security? Ha! 
We're joined again this week by Dave Bittner. Dave is the host of the CyberWire podcast, and Dave is also the co-host of the social engineering podcast, Hacking Humans with Joe Kerrigan, as well as the co-host of Caveat with Ben Yellen, where they discuss law and policy, as well as surveillance and privacy, and soon to be Furry Wars, their Star Wars uh, <laughs> show right. with Brian and Dave. Still, and, yeah, still yeah. in development. Uh, yeah, I've yeah. got to figure out my... my fl- Fluffy character, yeah. whatever they're called. Your fursona? Your avatar. Yeah, my fursona. Your fursona. Yeah. That's it. Your fursona. I think that came to front of mind a little too quickly for <laughs> Too me, quickly. But, uh, I, I wasn't going to say anything. I, but... I appreciate being corrected when I am wrong and struggling for a term, Dave. I just normally don't expect yeah. it to be so quick. Uh, yeah. Yes. Well, mm. No, it's called fursona, you idiots. Mm, Jeez. Yes, get it right. Jiminy. I will write that down on a card so I do not forget. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was listening to uh, your your most recent show because we, mm. we, we all took a week off because you guys were at Podcast Movement. So mm-hmm. I was listening to your show about uh, you were you sort of touched on your experience at Podcast Movement, which, of course, caught my attention. So overall, a, a thumbs down from both of you, huh? Well, yeah. you know, I expect a certain amount of shuck and jive at any conference. I, I'm, I've been to plenty in my life, um, but usually right. there's some meat on the bone. Um, yeah. th- there was nothing but salespeople there, and it was... I, I struggle with this all the time, because Jason tells me as a podcast, we're actually doing fairly well, and I look around and go, are, are you sure about that? Uh, but <laughs> we, <laughs> we were certainly by far one of the bigger podcasters there, which also was a bit unexpected. Huh. Yeah, How this is my people- second one, and you know, I, I kind of shucked it off since I went in 2016 at uh, the one in Chicago, and okay. I got zero value out of that one. And uh, this one uh, also disappointed because there was almost no value at this one as well. And the huh. thing about it is, I, like it, Brian and I touched on on the show, is that the bar wasn't open. <laughs> All business is done at the bar. Going to a conference gives you a license to day drink and hang out with like-minded individuals <laughs> where you can then get business done. This is I, how I, business is done. I, I would not emphasize the day drinking, but I do concur. Uh, all the previous, <laughs> yes, exactly. All the previous conferences that I've gone to, sure, there's a bit of walking around and seeing the various vendors and whatnot, but uh, the real meeting and greeting and, and socializing and all of that sort of stuff tends to take place at the hotel lobby bar. Uh, mm-hmm. They did not have theirs open at all. Hmm. So yes. there was nowhere to kind of go and just sit and, and you know, kind of like, oh, hey, who are you? What do you do? And and uh, all that sort of thing. So that was a, a very big missed opportunity for them, I think, because that is an integral part of the, the conference lifestyle. How many attendees do you think were there? Uh, I don't know. What do you think, like 250? I think there were more than that. There were quite okay. a few people there. Um, yeah, there okay. were probably 100 to 200 just kind of milling about in the halls with a good another 100 to 200 in the big uh, auditoriums where the these these yeah, not even hidden sales packages were going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so maybe four or 500 at, at, yeah. at that. Was this but. their first in L.A.? Yes, this was. And it was called Podcast Movement Evolutions. Right. So it was an I wonder if the what? Orlando one is. Yeah, I wonder if, because they do one in Orlando too. I wonder if that's uh, a bigger draw. Where stuff's really happening. I don't know. It's I don't know. I got a lot of friends going to that one. So if you decide to go, let me know and uh, we'll do some intros and all yeah. that. I think uh, my friend Eric Hunley, whose show we've all been on at this point, I believe, mm-hmm. is, uh, he's going. Uh, Chris Curran, who does podcast engineering school, he's going. Uh, a bunch of other podcasters are definitely going to be there because it's a podcast mm. conference. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Actually, no, no, no. I take that back. Uh, Eric's going to PodFest, not Podcast Movement. 
Okay. There's so many pods out there that it's really hard to tell. Uh, podcast uh, Podfest is in Orlando. Podcast Movement is in Dallas. And ah, okay. that's the difference. That's, so, all right. yeah. And Podcast Movement in Dallas up. is on my birthday. And I can huh. think of nothing I would rather do less <laughs> on my birthday than be at a podcaster convention. <laughs> yeah. It's so hard to know what to expect uh, to... Especially to, with to, these newer ones, right? And when, mm-hmm. when you've got a conference that's established, that's been running five, six, seven years, you know, I think like SIGGRAPH and things of that nature, they've got that stuff right. dialed in. They've got their audience. You know what you're going to get. Uh, these new ones that are struggling to get a foothold. Yeah. I don't know. I, Podcast movement's been around for over five years. So Not in I LA, because they certainly LA, didn't bother yeah. to do the setup very well. I mean, when you got the point where you have speakers that are fighting against each other because they're both in the same room with bad acoustics, and then you've so got bad. another speaker that you have <laughs> oh. to you have to wear headphones to hear because it's in the and middle of And that was stupid. A, and, I, and they ran out of headphones for the amount of people that wanted to listen to whoever was selling whatever at that point in time. It was just, uh, I don't feel it was run very well at all. Well, it's not like it was a show focused on audio or anything. I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. And we didn't actually even cover this, Brian. The 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 uh, talk that we went to that required mm-hmm. headphones of everybody in the big room. I don't know why they just didn't speak. Um, that was the AI and podcasting talk. And you oh, yes. actually seemed to enjoy that one. I thought some of the automated processes that they did uh, were really interesting. Um you know, it's it, it could all be done manually. The fact that they provide a service for doing things like uh, transcripts and and doing quick you know social media bite edits that they use their AI to find the interesting topics for you to to kind of pick and pull out, and it's all done manually or automatically for you was kind of a cool thing. Um, you know, then you look at the price tags and you go, "Are you kidding me?" Yeah, uh, <laughs> I can pay somebody in the Philippines pennies and get the same same thing, and we didn't even try the product, so we don't even know if it actually even works. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's that. Yeah. So interesting. All right. Well, it's good information. It'll keep me. Uh, I'll certainly think twice before heading halfway across the country to uh, to attend. Yeah. Well, hey, man, if your company's paying for it, it's, it's always a free vacation. So jump on in. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I gotta say, I love Dallas. So if you if you can get to go to Podcast Movement, some of the best barbecue you're ever gonna find. Mm, true. True. Yep. Um, so I want to do a little check in on your social media. Dave, because you have okay. left Facebook. Yes. And Brian is on the cusp of maybe possibly, eh, who am I kidding? He's never going to leave. But uh, <laughs> I wanted to see how it's going for you. It, overall, it's going very well. Um, there are a few things that I feel like I'm missing out on. A few local organizations who post most of their information about what they're up to and so on and so forth. I'm missing out on that kind of stuff. A few friends I feel as though I'm not in as good a touch with. But uh, overall, I, I don't really miss it. Um, I, I definitely don't miss the anxiety it was causing me. <laughs> so uh, I feel like I made the right decision. Um, and I don't really feel a strong pull back, which yeah, is interesting. Okay, Good to know. Yeah. I'm on Twitter a lot. I mean, there's, there's no doubt that I, I definitely... I definitely made a shift. I'm on Twitter a lot more than I was, I think. But uh, again, as we've <laughs> talked about here, Twitter allows me to dial in what I want to and don't want to see much more effectively than Facebook ever did. That's right. That's right. Do you still have it on your phone? Because I did an experiment. I took everything off my phone. I took Instagram off my phone. I took Twitter off my phone. I never had Facebook on my phone because I just I, I don't need it on there. But once I took off Twitter and Instagram from my phone... 
I, I read two novels this week, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's like that little bit of extra time that gets sucked out of you like a little vampire comes <laughs> back to you and you have time to actually do more deep thinking and, and more enjoyable stuff I've found. Well, that's funny. I, I I have a very different approach than than you guys do with social media. I've cut back a lot. In fact, I've I've made a, I've renamed the folder on my phone "Time Sucks" to remind myself that the things in there are time sucks, uh, mm. which keeps me away from it less. Uh, I, I am on Facebook a lot less than I used to, um, just out of I don't know force of will or just. Uh, not getting the value proposition I once did. I'm not leaving it um, because I have dialed in my Facebook the way that you guys have potentially dialed in your Twitters. Um, I see using plugins uh, on my desktop. I see just my friends' updates, which is what I want. And my friends aren't on Twitter, so it's not an option for me to transform over there. In fact, I feel probably the anxiety that you feel with Facebook, Dave. That's how I feel launching Twitter. Uh, mm. I, every time I launch Twitter, that puts me in a bad mood and I get depressed and I get angry probably because I follow a lot of news sources, which is primarily what I've used Twitter for over the years. So I, yeah. my personal and I wouldn't say professional, but my personal life on Facebook is is fine. And I use it a lot less and don't miss it when I'm not using it, but still use it enough to have the connections with my friends. And I only launch Twitter if I you know, want to be in a really bad mood. Hmm. It's interesting because uh, our friend, a mutual friend of the show, David Teeter, who was on long, long ago, who would like to have back at some point, uh, he actually deleted his Twitter account, his Facebook account, his Flickr account even, mm-hmm. and just Everything. said no more. And I had a really long conversation with him about it. And he's just like, yeah, it's kind of run its course. I don't get value out of it anymore. So why stay on it? And I'm, I'm really coming to that conclusion as well, you know? I wish I could sell my Instagram account and make some money off of it, but I don't think that's ever going to happen. But once I took everything off the phone, I just realized that, yeah, I've got other things that I want to do. And those things that I want to do are much more rewarding than just seeing what other people post day in, day out. Uh, honestly, it's it it's really is just kind of calming. Mm. I get a lot of feedback from listeners on Twitter. So that's valuable. And I'd always mm-hmm. set up I'd always segregated Twitter to be more professional and Facebook to be more personal friends and family kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So particularly since we're publishing every day, uh, you know, listeners will let me know, hey, there's there's an editing error in this episode. Did you know about or things like that? So. There's there's definitely value there. People send us tips on stories and and so forth. So um, it has value for me professionally there. Um, and I, there's a few friends over there who I, I only see on Twitter now who, who it's funny, actually, a few of my friends from Facebook followed me over to Twitter, people who were not on Twitter before, um, just because they wanted to keep in touch. So that's kind of nice. Yeah. 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 I just found that taking, taking the apps off the phone is really the key. It's like, mm-hmm. I can, I can log in on my desktop whenever I, you know, I'm editing audio and I have to process a bunch of stuff. I'm like, oh, I'll pop in, see what's going on, <laughs> say hi, do whatever. But yeah, the always always at your fingertips aspect of it has just been, you know, and I mean, we've talked about this ad nauseum, but it just really is kind of, it's bad for you. 
Yeah. Uh, again, that's why I shoved everything in a folder and I try to stay away from it. But there, are, I still do get value from Facebook and not just with the friends, but I, I have a three-year-old, which is a transitional period for a kid. So there are a lot of uh, things that I'm trying to sell that he is no longer interested in. And, I, mm. and Facebook Marketplace beats the crap out of Craigslist these days. There's just no wow. doubt about it. That oh, is yeah. a, an amazing tool for selling uh, you know, strollers and and all sorts of baby stuff that, you know, I've, I've, for a long time, I was putting them up on both and I've stopped putting things up on Craigslist because Facebook marketplace is so effective. That's interesting. That's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. I, I feel Craigslist is on its last leg. Yeah. I mean, I, there's something to the aspect that you have a verified person and, and their Facebook presence uh, that, you know, you're going to their house to buy something from that. Uh, yeah. You know, you don't quite have the stranger danger that you do from Craigslist. Now, obviously, mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure, as you could tell from any of the security segments we've ever done, it can still be a dangerous proposition. But it is, in theory, tied to a real person's account. <laughs> and you can look at their account and see who they are and all that sort yeah. of stuff. So, yeah. so I think that, um, you know, they've done great strides with that. Um, it really works very well. And I've stopped using any other source to sell things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have yeah, here We've as been well. doing the same. We've yeah. been doing the same. We, we sold a bunch of, a of furniture, bed. and yeah. it just it, it on on Facebook it went fast. Yep. Uh, on Craigslist, it was you know fifty replies with nobody serious, mm -hmm. and anything that we've sold probably in the past six months, I think everything has gone from gone through Facebook. I'd imagine that there's some aspect of social pressure about that because they they, they do know that you know who they are. It's not just an anonymous email back and forth. It's, it's a person's account with their face and, and everything. So you don't, uh, you don't want to dick around with people and piss them off as long as you would, if you were somewhat more anonymous. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Oh my God. Zuckerberg was right. Shit. Well, about selling <laughs> shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get to some news. What do we got? All right. Well, let's start with the Iowa caucus. We talked about the uh, failed app, the not ready for primetime app uh, created by Shadow Inc. that uh, basically destroyed the caucus and made it into a, into a circus. Uh, Nevada has an upcoming caucus of their own. And uh, understandably, they decided not to use the Shadow Inc. app because, you know, it didn't work. So they had to come up with a last-minute replacement just in time for the early voting that uh, began on February 15th. And the replacement is a tool. They are using this term purposefully, <laughs> so it does not say app. And it's basically an iPad with a Google form on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you yes. know, they, they, vet, they vetted this. They consulted with the DNC, the Department of Homeland Security, and Google to ensure security from potential hackers. It's, it's a no-brainer solution. It is something that you and I, Jason, would have come up with back in the day when we were told we have three days to put something together. <laughs> All right, well, let's find tools that we know work and that yep. are easy. Yeah, yeah. Google, and, uh, Google Forms does work. And I mean, that's exactly what they did. And they included a, you know, a huge set of uh, training guides and instructions on how to operate the iPad. Yes, the instructions include <laughs> things such as open iPad case, but oh, you God. don't know who you're getting to run these things and they may not be familiar with technology. So simple mm -hmm. case solution with simple instructions. Ah, well, technology. I suppose, I mean, they can say that they're working with one of the biggest security companies in the world, which is Google, right? And I Apple, mean, yeah. two, two really <laughs> big, well-known secure companies. Right, right, right. No, <laughs> so third, no other third parties. Yeah, wow. there's a, definitely a way to spin that, saying that this is a very secure solution. Sure, it's off the rack, but whatever. <laughs> 
this reminds me, we had a story today uh, on the CyberWire about how um, the folks who are tracking these sorts of things are saying that the Russians this time around, it seems as though they're not creating so much of their own stuff as they are curating our stuff. Like we're doing a good enough job on our own publishing divisive things that they don't need to. <laughs> they to don't start the fire. They just uh, feed no, it and fan it. They a just bit. stoke it. They're yep. just pouring a little bit of gasoline on it and spreading it around. And yep, yep. yep. Which and and this this uh, the Iowa caucus app was a big part of that. Yes, it was. Yes, See, it Russia was. did such a good job last time that we just we just took the took the flame and kept on going. That's <laughs> it. Mm-hmm. We, we, we are now the torchbearers. <laughs> history will not look kindly on this uh, this part of our history. No, no. And speaking of, <laughs> I saw this over at the Daily Beast, which is generally not a uh, news source that you go run to. But uh, Trump offered Assange pardon if he covered up Russian hack WikiLeaks founders lawyers claim. Uh, well, did you guys cover this over on the CyberWire, Dave? Yeah. <laughs> What do you think about this? Because I, I I am of two minds on this one. Uh, I think you take it for what it's worth, which is anybody can say anything. I mean, it's interesting. I, I will. Uh, I mean, know, it comes from the lawyer, so you'd think that they would at least have some backup to let, prove let me, the case. Let me put yeah. it to you guys this way: um, after about oh, I don't know, two to three years of investigation and millions of dollars poured at it, would we be shocked to find out this is true? No. And would it no. matter? No. No. Okay, there you go. <laughs> okay. Moving on. <laughs> I mean, that's the sad reality, right? We This would not be surprising. We we have had similar things happen that have been proven that have happened, and mm-hmm. uh, nobody seems to give a shit. No, we're in that <laughs> mode now where everything is plausible. Yeah. Yeah. Right? That, yeah. That, 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 that little happened. teapot with all the tempests in it is getting very full. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Maybe someday mm-hmm. it'll overflow and somebody will take notice. But yeah, at this point, it's like, and <laughs> I read this, and I'm just like, and mm-hmm. that. Well, there's yeah, you know, and that that's the kind of thing that I see when I open up Twitter, and that's why I then go cry in my bed for a few hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> see, that's what that's what mute filters are for. Yeah. Well, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> um. So we've got a new problem with Stalkerware app. Now we've talked about spywares and stalkerware stuff before and the somewhat iffy premises that they're based on to begin with um having a kid i can see the potential desire to have some sort of thing that would monitor my kid's activity on his phone as he gets older but i'm also aware of the dubious moral ground that that would put me under um Mm -hmm. as are many people uh but this one uh kids guard Claims it can access all the information on a target device, including real-time location, text messages, browser history, access to photos, videos, app activity, and recordings of phone calls. It is, of course, marketed as uh, that exactly, a way to for parents to monitor their child's activities. Um, mm-hmm. It, of course, is used for a lot more than that. It is used to spy on spouses, friends, etc. In fact, I would argue one of the uh, plus points on their, their app is that they you can view dating activity on places like tinder which i would ask why would a child have tinder 
Why would you build yes. that in if this was <laughs> in, only intended to be worked on for kids? Um, yeah, so, they grow up so quickly. They, they, they do, do grow up so fast these <laughs> days. Uh, so there's a little bit of bullshittery there on, on yeah. what the, this company is actually making this app for. Yeah, but you need for some kickball or random sex? I don't know. Either one works for me. Yeah. yeah. Does but, it allow uh, you to check their portfolio as well to see how their stocks are doing? Yes, exactly. So here's the real problem. Uh, well, not that there aren't problems enough already. All this data siphoned off and, and stored was put in a bucket that didn't have a password on it. It has now figure. been leaked out to everywhere. Now, people are quick <laughs> to point out this is relatively anonymized, but we know what that means. I can't see how uh, a bucket full of uh, personal data, including all your photos and app activity, is any way, shape, or form anonymized, because I'm sure if you looked at the data for five minutes you could probably figure out uh, who they well, are yeah by google search if there's a so. photo then you just put it in tin eye and you're done that's it <laughs> yes right so right. uh you know we have a couple things here that are iffy the app itself the way the app markets itself and uh the fact that they couldn't put a password on the fucking bucket mm-hmm. yeah this reminds me uh just uh, i was talking to someone earlier this week and running through some of these stats when it came to cloud storage and and so on and uh one of the noteworthy uh, things that they um, found was that actually Amazon S3 buckets have gotten much more secure over the past year. In other words, the things you that Amazon... wouldn't know it by listening to our show. <laughs> well, well, this one but, wasn't Amazon. This was... Right, uh, but, that's a, yeah, but compared Alibaba. to some of the other... Uh, right, exactly. Compared to some of the other providers, Amazon has made some adjustments on their end as to what is the default, how what? they yes. pester you about things, and it, it seems to be working. Jason, I think you and I talked about that uh, maybe even two years ago uh, about how the UI for the Amazon bucket was almost built to design you to fail. And obviously, mm-hmm. they've right. tweaked that out that a bit. So it's a more obvious uh, put password on this. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, really. I think, I, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure we both have AWS accounts. So we should just go we should just go spin up a bucket and see what they do nowadays. It'll take five minutes and we'll figure it out, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Because, yeah, I just yeah. thought that was interesting that uh, they, they the th- what they were tracking was they saw a significant change mm-hmm. in the number of Amazon buckets specifically that were showing up as being exposed compared to the other providers. Right. So interesting. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, in the in the old days, when you basically spin up a bucket and if you wanted to use it for like assets for a website, you had to set everything to global. That was the easy way to do it. You know. And when you're when you were setting up like you know like a MySQL bucket to to run your database, they were it was difficult to get the the right password in there, or make it like a you know a tough password to get because um, they were like just weird character recognition things that they had in there. That's like no, you can't use that one. Like I remember Tilde was a uh, one of those like protected characters that it wouldn't let you use. Mm-hmm. It was it was very strange, but. Um, Hmm. Yeah, uh, just but if you're using a bucket, like if you set up a bucket and you want it to be for assets for your website, it you have to set it to global so everybody can see it. Problem is, it's like, oh, do you have an S3 bucket? You know, some new developer comes in, fresh talent, as we always like to call them. Uh, they're like, oh yeah, here's our here's our company bucket. Just use this, and then everything that's in that bucket already is then set to global because somebody's using it for a different purpose. You know, they're not setting up their own mm-hmm. buckets to do specific tasks. 
And I've seen that time and time again. You know, I still have clients that have buckets that are wide open to the world that have all their financial data in there. And I'm like, guys, <laughs> guys, I've sent this email seven times. This is the last time I'm going to send it. So if you get hacked, it's on you. I don't care anymore. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a part of that is that with some organizations, uh, if they acknowledge your email, then a clock starts ticking and they have to actually do something about it. So that's a thing as well. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> It's interesting, too. When it comes to the stalkerware, I'm, I actually just texted my friend. I'm waiting to hear back on the, the actual app she uses. She pays like, um, I think it's over $100 a year for this app for her daughter, who is 16 years old. Mm-hmm. And so she has like the monitoring app on her phone and the daughter has, you know, the the other app on her phone. Does the daughter it, know? Yes, absolutely. Okay. She knows. That's that's much better. Absolutely. She knows. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, my friend will get an alert if she's speeding or, if, you know, any any different. It's got a you ton mean of if she's metrics. being a kid? Exactly. <laughs> this is the problem I have with this. <laughs> but I mean, the daughter's used to it. She's, I, I, I mean, I asked her about it. I'm like, doesn't this freak you out? She's like, hey, I'm used to it. You know, yeah, totally, I don't, I don't know. totally fine with that. And, I don't know. Yeah. but it yeah. also helps, you know, if they're trying to coordinate on where they're going to be and things like that. So it's not, it, it's, it's like a way more powerful find to my friends type of thing. But I mean, kids are different. Find than and us. control my friends. Exactly. Yes. Uh, Narc on yes. my friends. Show <laughs> <laughs> like, title. Again, like I said, I, I, I as a parent, I can kind of understand the impulse, but I do find right. it uh, creepy and somewhat draconian. Uh, it's helicopter you know, mode. It turns it's helicopter, into helicopter mode. Like I, yeah. I, I would much rather set up a system using Eero or whatever. You know, I don't know if they're still advertising with us, so I'm not going to pitch it right now. Um, <laughs> but uh, that that can that can kind of block things and control access at a at a higher level without uh, without doing something that uh, is betraying my son's trust or, or putting something on his phone that is tracking him and what he but does he, in the I mean, wild he does him, in the wild because yeah. he's a kid and he should have that freedom should yeah. he though should yes. He? Yes. yes yes <laughs> unfortunately yes <laughs> yes this is uh, this is actually something where my my wife and i don't entirely align i am much more on Brian's side here of saying that we need to limit the amount of of uh, insights Oversight. we have into yeah and <laughs> yeah. what our children are doing and um, especially as they get older uh, and she tends to be more on the side of no I want to know everything <laughs> they're doing all the time that uh, <laughs> I think that is a pretty straight down the down the line uh, gender split yeah, from most of the parents well, I've been talking yeah. to yeah, not entirely strange. there's always exceptions to the rule but yeah. in general <laughs> I would not classify her as being generally an overprotective kind of person in it's any that, way, it's but, the mom gene yeah, yeah it's the mom yeah, gene I suppose you're right I suppose yep. you're right I suppose you're right yeah. Well, I, uh, I, I are you guys familiar with this uh, Wiggle uh, website, the wireless network mapping? Rob Wiggle's great. It's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, uh, I wasn't until you put it in the show notes, and now I'm fascinated by it. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> oh, my so, God, am I fascinated by this. Yes. Yeah, so this was actually brought to my attention by uh, Caleb Barlow, who's one of our uh, CyberWire partners. Uh, he works for – he's actually the CEO at a company called Synergistech. So he's a regular over on the CyberWire, um, used to be with IBM. And uh, he pointed this out to me. Basically, this is a kind of a front end for a lot of open source, <laughs> publicly gathered information about 
Wi-Fi networks. Yeah. Just mapping yeah. out the Wi-Fi networks. Uh, and boy, is there a lot of information in here. <laughs> Holy Jiminy Jeebus. They really missed out on a marketing opportunity, at least to us oldies from the internet, because their tagline should be, it is all the networks found by everyone. It should be all the, all the networks belong to us. Yes, yes. it should be. <laughs> That's right. I think I, right. what, what I'm really enjoying is just going around and seeing how everybody names their networks. Oh, it's great. So mm-hmm. I'm at yeah. Flower Lady and Flower Lady 5G right now. There's one called <laughs> Happiness. Um, a lot of squid nets on the one that I'm at right now, but, uh, yeah, this is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, Caleb made the point that, uh, <laughs> extremely online. Yes, you are, sir. You are very <laughs> extremely online. <laughs> Dude. Gin and uh, juice. Oh yeah. We know what you do at night. Mm-hmm, <laughs> oh my mm-hmm. God. It is entertaining. Uh, <laughs> But uh, Kayla made the point that uh, if you have a unique Wi-Fi name, that it is yet another piece of information that they can use mm-hmm. to uh, to track you. Because one of the things that your device does, that your phone does, when it's out there looking for Wi-Fi networks, uh-huh. looks for your default networks. Yep. It looks for your default networks. So it's uh, going yes. out and saying, "Hey, are you are you this a network? Are you this network?" So it's broadcasting the name of your default networks. I think we covered this five years ago Gee. when you first started with the show, Dave. I, I wonder. That. I wonder if that information could be used to break anonymization of data. Ooh. Yeah, do you think? <laughs> He had an interesting suggestion, which was to name your Wi-Fi network after a vehicle. In other words, all of these cars oh, are coming. Oh, genius. Yeah. All mm-hmm. these cars are coming with Wi-Fi networks built in. So name your network after a car. That way, it is, first of all, likely to be filtered out because <clears throat> it, it's a mobile network, right? It's It's yeah. a car. It's not, right? And also... There's going to be so many networks with that default name, it's harder to to track you down. Well, I think my like on on my Explorer, it's like four dash, you know, series yeah. of random characters. Yeah, mine's mm-hmm. like seven two five BMW nine five three WXYZ or something crazy like that. So, so here's what right, we got to do: right. you just walk out with the the scanner app, the Wi-Fi scanner app that we talked about a couple episodes ago, yeah, and figure out your neighbor's car, and then name your network <laughs> after your neighbor's car. Right. Right. You know, right. Jason, I we were talking <laughs> we were talking about doing next week a bit of a security special where we kind of cover all the basics and what we do. And yeah. this falls solidly under the yeah, this would probably be a really good idea, but I'm way too lazy. Uh, okay, category. well, yeah. Good thing you're not going to be on that episode for very long. We'll do it without you. <laughs> right. So rather than security by obscurity, it's vulnerability by laziness. Yes, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> or what I would call a reasonable amount of security, but I'm not wearing a tinfoil hat. Right. Okay. Good enough. Yeah. yeah. Can't be bothered. No, I love this site, though, man. This I could just sit here and read read networks all day. <laughs> These are great. There are some crazy ones right by my house, I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> across the pond. And, and, and next door to across the pond is pond scum. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you can sort of, you can find all of the, the, the neighbors who hate each other. And they're, oh, they're I, I have wars. used my Wi-Fi networks as... <laughs> Is just you know, just to piss off the neighbors. I'm like Jesus sucks 2017 or anything to because I know they're out there just putting pamphlets on my door or whatever. It's funny because you you look around and then you see like uh, 
you see like base station. Now, I'm almost willing to bet that that person probably does not have a password on that because you they weren't even bothered to rename it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be. All the Xfinity ones I've seen, I'm sure, they because they all have, you know, pretty long default passwords and things like that. But yeah. if you see a network like your dogs suck, <laughs> then you know that <laughs> you have bad neighbors. Right, right. We hear you having sex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right by Santa Monica City Hall, somebody named their, their Wi-Fi network Santa Monica City Sucks. Nice. This is good stuff. This is hours of enjoyment here right now. This is really good. (laughs) Oh my god! I have. (laughs) Okay, I got to close that. We got to finish the show here. Oh, I think th- this is the show. We're just going to do this every week. We're just going to figure out the the great Wi-Fi networks we found. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And on this last story I found over at Ars Technica this morning, I thought it was great. A weed dealer's $59 million lesson. Don't hide Bitcoin keys with a fishing rod. This hmm. is a guy in Ireland who was basically a weed dealer and bought a bunch of Bitcoin way back in the day. And he spread out his Bitcoin over a bunch of wallets. And then he wrote down the encryption keys and put them in his tackle box in his garage. Well, he got robbed at one point and they stole his tackle box. Uh, and also or he, think, he thinks they stole the tackle box because there are a couple different stories here. The, he got busted for carrying weed and got a jail sentence. And then the Irish government came and took everything in his house, sent it to the, you know, basically the dump. And the dump then sent it on to Germany and China to be incinerated. So... The Irish government would like their $59 million in Bitcoin, but they can't get to it because the keys are gone. And uh, he can't get to it because he was in jail and somebody burned all his stuff. (laughs) So, yeah, here's the thing. Uh, Have a backup for your Bitcoin, you know, uh, decryption keys at some point. Well, you know, Mm -hmm. weed dealer not really expecting super high IT IQ. Ah, we live in California where there are lots of weed dealers who are very professional. So Well, that's because it's legal here now. Dealers. It's different. Yes. It's not illegal anymore. Right. No, but 59 million bucks though. That's, that's a lot of weed. That, that's not chump <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's a lot. Of, that's a lot of weed. Well, you I mean 6,000 huh. bitcoin uh in 2011, so he probably paid like $12 for it, you know? No, that's true. Right. Right. I still love that story yeah. about the guy who ended up spending 10 million dollars on a pizza. If he would have kept the Bitcoin, mm-hmm. but he bought a Bitcoin way back or he used his Bitcoin yeah. to buy a pizza way back in the day. The first guy. Yeah, <laughs> that was the first pizza delivery through Bitcoin. Yep. And uh, I wonder what ultimately happens with money in Bitcoin that is lost forever. Does it just simply it just, it's lost forever? There forever. It's yeah. just lost forever. Mm-hmm. It's lost forever. There's no there's no expiration. There's no it's just in there and just stays forever. Yeah, pretty much. Interesting. It's you know, it's like if you if you have. $59 million and you bury it in your backyard and then forget where you put it. <clears throat> kind of the same thing. It's, it's, it's literally ghost in the machine, right? It's just there yeah, and yeah. nobody can ever get to it. Yep. Unless they do a rollback on the blockchain, which they've been known to do because I know they did that with Ethereum at one point. <laughs> and, you know, right. there are ways around it where they could release the funds, but uh, then you have to get a bunch of people doing it. And we've talked about that several <laughs> times on how that could be because a lot of people can uh, just, you know, have blockchain nodes and then brute force the system. Oh, I could go on for hours, but please yeah. don't. Here's the deal for now, for now, <laughs> Too late. Uh, for now, the $59 million is, is yeah. Ghost in the machine. Yeah. 
All right, gentlemen. Well, uh, have fun uh, surfing around all of your various <laughs> neighbors' uh, Wi-Fi networks. Uh, I know I did when I first got <laughs> access to that website. So glad to have infected your day and wasted your time with it as well. And all of our listeners, because we're just generous that yes, way. Yes, we are. So. I, I, I'm going to go change my network to I slept with your wife. I love that <laughs> we've all go. gotten off social media to save us our time, and then we spend 18 hours doing this. The human brain finds a way to waste time. All right, gents. I'll see you next time. Ups and doodads. Didn't really find much this week, and Jason's been sick, and this is usually his section, but I do remember we had a listener looking for software to do a fairly folksy recipe book a while back. This is not that, but it did make me think of that listener, and it's pretty cool. This is an Etsy shop called Laser Focus Crafts, and they will engage your favorite family recipe, maybe a keepsake from your grandmother or something like that, onto a bamboo, cherry, or maple cutting board. Prices range from $30 for an 8-inch by 6-inch board to $75 for a 14-inch by 11-inch board. And they look really nice and cool. It's a it's a good little gift idea, perhaps, for your mother. No, it's neat. I yeah. like it. It's a good idea. I always like getting a neat out of Jason. Yeah, it's neat. It's neat. Brick a brick. Oh, mental floss always uh, is a good browse for when you've got 15 minutes and you're bored out of your mind and just need something <laughs> to brighten your day. And I found something great. I found 15 charming old-fashioned compliments. Uh, we talked about some... Um, unsavory characters from our past in this episode. And uh, so I found some terms that uh, do not apply to anyone in the music industry. True penny and straight fingered. <laughs> During the 16th century, honesty became a characteristic of newfound acclaim in the English language. And if you happen upon someone whose trustworthiness cannot go without commendation, try true penny or straight fingered. Middle fingered is more of the, the music industry. <laughs> And while we had a lot of cocks, what we didn't have was a bawcock. What's a bawcock? While the medieval and early Elizabethan periods boasted plenty of colorful colloquialisms, you'll no doubt want to advance to the height of William Shakespeare's career to get some of the really good stuff. This is a term for a gentleman of character and integrity, Jason. Ah, uh, sir, you're a bawcock. He's a real bawcock. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and just because we like our booze, licorice rolling eyes, which is uh, just means you're, you're very pleasant looking. Okay. <laughs> Closing shout outs. We made the mistake of mentioning Mash the other week. Oh, it's not our fault. And rest in peace, Kelly Nakahara, Mash actress, best known for her portrayal of Nurse Kelly on the iconic television series Mash. She died at 72, lost her battle with cancer, and passed away peacefully at her family's Pasadena, California home. I actually loved that character. She yeah. was great. Yeah, she yeah. was great. She went from just like a background character, but she was just so great and everybody liked her so much. She became not a major character, but certainly had tons and tons of episodes with speaking roles. Uh, we also lost uh, Larry Tesler, who basically invented cut, copy, and paste. Hero to all hack programmers everywhere. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Eric Hunley sent me this one and he's like, I think it's fitting that I actually copied and pasted the link to you. <laughs> so As did we. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, rest in peace, my friend. Yes. And on a personal note, uh, a mainstay of my childhood here in Southern California is going away, sadly. Alpine Village, the Bavarian-themed shopping center near Torrance that also served as a hub of Southern California's expatriate German community, um, which of which I grew up in, has announced a mid-April closure of its restaurant and bar. It is sad to see it go. I've been there for, in later years, many times for Oktoberfest. Uh, I was there. We hosted my grandmother's 90th birthday there. It was a lot of fun, and I'm going to miss that place. So sad yeah. to see it going. But uh, all good things must end. 
Yes, they must. Yes, they must. Until next time, I'm Brian Schulmeister. And I'm Jason DeFilippo. Thanks for listening to Grumpy Old Geeks. To support the show and keep us on the air, go to GOG.show slash donate. And hey, hey, you guys keep giving us some money. Maybe we can buy our own Tesla that we can test out sometime. <laughs> that would be fun. And some electrical tape. And some electrical <laughs> tape, yes. I think I think we're we're pretty closer to getting the electrical tape than the Tesla, but That's we gotta true. start somewhere. <laughs> Toss us a few bucks and we'll love you forever. Your support keeps us going and we really do appreciate it. Show notes for this episode are at GOG.show slash four one six. From there you can find links to old episodes, leave feedback, ask questions, donate to the show, and get links to stuff we like. Stay grumpy. Mm, last episode, 415 was the area code for San Francisco, 416, Toronto. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.